0: Good afternoon and welcome to the webinar, Maintaining Security After the Rush to Remote Work, A Higher Ed Perspective, brought to you by Ed Quarter. My name is Jenna Ash and I'm the editor of Education Technology. Over the next hour, we'll be discussing how leading UK universities are approaching IT security for the remote learning model implemented in response to the COVID-19 crisis. Here, we'll touch on the challenges universities faced in the shift to online learning, and our expert panel will talk about the key cybersecurity concerns emerging as a result of this new normal, as well as provide a blueprint for what's needed to keep students, staff, data, and networks secure in a remote world. For the viewers at home, please note that you can ask us questions in the chat box throughout the webinar, and later we'll open the floor to a Q&A with our wonderful panel. With us today are four experts from the worlds of higher education and cybersecurity. I'll introduce them all in turn and they can tell you who they are, what they do, and let's have a bit of fun. Tell the viewers at home one thing that's been helping you through the madness that is the lockdown. So Dimitri, let's start with you.
1: Hi, um, my name is Dimitri Rapitov. I'm VP of Platform Architecture at SonicWall. Um, What's been really helping me is having a window with a lot of sunlight right next to where I sit. So that's, that's nice.
0: Good, good response there, Dimitri, that sounds good. Over to you, Jonathan.
2: Hello, I'm Jonathan Monk. I'm the Director of Information Technology at the University of Dundee. And what's getting me through the lockdown has been um, learning to improve my guitar and general kind of musical playing. Um, that's, kept me, that's kept me sane so far.
0: Nice, how about you, Kerry?
2: Um, Hello, I'm Kerry
3: Davis. I'm Assistant Director of IT and Enterprise Architecture at Cardiff University in Wales. Um, We've been enjoying some unseasonably good weather as well. Um, So yeah, gardening and um, listening to birds.
0: Perfect. Last but not least, Roger.
4: Hi, Roger Harry. I'm uh, not the CEO of Circle IT anymore. uh, I've got a new CEO in place in the business. I'm the uh, owner and founder and I kind of perform a a CTO role currently. Um, Pretty much the same as Kerry because don't live too far from him across Cardiff, but um, (laughs) yeah. More, more than likely, I would have to answer that with alcohol and sunshine, to be fair.
0: Wouldn't <laughs> uh, we all? Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's really great to have you all here and I'll get the ball rolling. So I'm going to start with a question for Jonathan. Jonathan, universities had to move online at such a rapid pace. There must have been a colossal amount to consider. What were the biggest priorities for SLTs and IT managers at the start of this process?
2: so i think the the first priority of course was the the health and well-being of uh, our students um, population and our staff and ensuring that everyone was safe and well Um, and then the next bit once we'd kind of you know figured out where things were in terms of that was making sure that everyone could work from home because everyone went home in about a week um, in terms of when the building started to close and then really focusing our attention on completing our student studies, making sure we had no detriment policies, policies in place so that our students weren't negatively affected and graduating, we, we've graduated about 800 stu- um, students from fir- final year in uh, medical profession um, to go to work in, in hospitals um, and facilities around Scotland um, so they could um, aid uh, the frontline NHS workers in, in the COVID treatment. Um, and so there were a whole bunch of changes that needed to be taken, take take place um, around that. And from a, a technology perspective, um, a lot of what we did was leveraging existing technologies and existing roadmaps and plans that we already had in place. So we tried not to create brand new, completely innovative ideas, but we, you know, we used a lot of things like Um, building up Office 365, um, adopting Teams. We'd had Teams and we'd briefed everyone on it, but the uptake had been really low um, until everyone kind of got sent home, at which point in time our our usage kind of went vertical. And we went from around about 2,000 people accessing and using the platform to about um, 12,000 different people accessing the platform. So there was a real sharp uptake. the other thing that we we had was obviously we had our, our VLE, our learning management systems already in the cloud. So we were able to take advantage of the synchronous broadcast that we were from that. And um, we also recognised that a number of um, students in particular didn't necessarily have client devices that they could operate from. So we very quickly had to spin out devices for them. Um, we were quite lucky in that we, we bank um, equipment um, in a bonded warehouse so we were able to draw down about 300 laptops which were configured with a reasonable level of security for our staff and we were able to issue those out within about a week um, and then finally um, we beefed up our existing um, remote access solutions that we have from sonic wall around vpn um, to ensure that st- staff were able to access applications and things from home that traditionally they would have been able to access um, Um, from the from the office. Um, And then the final point was uh, we built some remote desktop and some application virtualization um, solutions um, and expanded those so that um, our students in particular were able to access the same applications on their own personal devices that they could access when the university because the most important thing was trying to ensure the continuity of the student experience and make sure that wherever as much as possible although it was it was very rushed um and very very much thinking on on with fleet of foot that we weren't compromising that both that student experience and the outcomes that our students were expecting um i think that's the most important bit is to focus on the outcomes and then make decisions I and mean, this is i think probably one of the benefits of this, this this period is that the university's decision-making process which has traditionally been quite reflective shall we say in In the way that decisions are made suddenly got much quicker um, and much more proactive and much much less um, elongated and we were able to actually do an awful lot more in those first two or three weeks than than we would normally have done um, and the university has accepted that maybe in the future that there's a benefit to that that decisive action, and i'm hoping that as as a result of that we will we'll be able to maintain. Some of those, that, that pace of change, as we move into the the new normal um, of the next semester that we've got coming.
0: Great, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, same question to you, Kerry.
2: Um, hi, I, I think we had um, you know very
3: very similar challenges and and, and similar responses. Um, I think you know the the main priority for us was to was to make sure that teaching um, finished and that that we adapted to to new methods of assessment that didn't involve. Um, you know, putting hundreds of students in a room together. Um, we were, we were, you know, as a university, we were quite conscious that um, there's been quite a large amount of industrial action within the UK um, over the last few months as well. So students had not necessarily received all of the face-to-face teaching hours that they, you know, would normally have expected. And 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 sending them away from campus with um, two or three weeks to go of the teaching year was was a concern. I think. Um, so yeah so we, we did the same kind of thing um another challenge that we had was we had students obviously in residences and some businesses had to have the, the luxury to close um send everybody away universities don't have that um so we had some students went home um some students couldn't go home because they you know they missed the cut-off date such as it were or you know they were they were from overseas and, and therefore couldn't travel um so yeah, you know, making sure that the students were okay was was a big challenge for us, and, and we um, we set up a, a student check-in call center um, within a week, using 250 staff working from home um, you know, to make calls to stu- to two students and, and check that they were okay, um, and to offer support, you know, if they weren't or thought that they might, they might not be. Um, uh, so that that was a you know a big thing for us to do because because you know we 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 do call centers on occasion anyway most most commonly for for the clearing and confirmation periods, but we tend to do them again on on premises um but it was good practice for 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 you know for for next year's clearing and confirmation as well. Um, as Jonathan said um, we're also you know, a medical university so we had to swiftly graduate some of our medical students so they could go out and help um, in the health service. Um, we also have um, the um, advantage of, of sharing a site with the local um, health trust or health board. Um, a disadvantage of that was that they decided that they would like to co-op some of our buildings um, where we would um, normally, you know, have, have had people based, so we had to um, hand over large amounts of the estate um, to, to to NHS management, um, and obviously, you know, there are IT challenges involved in that because they have our equipment in them. Um, yes. <laughs> and then the, the the other kind of major thing, which I'm not sure Jonathan went into detail on, was kind of adapting paper or presence-based processes to 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 a new world where that's not feasible Um, and that's i think it's fair to say that's something that we're still getting used to
0: Mm. thanks kerry i'm gonna actually shoot the next question back to you um in terms of minimizing the disruption to students education while simultaneously maintaining the utmost levels of security what have been the biggest challenges universities have been forced to navigate
3: yeah that's that's interesting so Although I think universities in, in general have kind of have been well ahead of the kind of bring your own device type curve. Um, you know, we, we've always had um like federated authentication uh, and and things like the Edgerome wireless service, which allows um people to turn up with any device and essentially, you know, use it at any university site. Um and we've had that ever since I've I've worked there for 15 years plus. Um but the kind of the trust models that, that, that we had in place kind of assumed that people would largely be either on our network or using a device that we managed. Um, because people just went home, um, we found a large amount of people w- were using their own personally owned devices. And you know that gave us some concerns because our our licensing models and our security models assume that we have some level of control over you know what what the devices are running for the majority of the time um so yeah adapting kind of remote working practices uh and, and the way that our security models worked um was that we, we made heavy use of a vpn all of a sudden we went from probably 15 to 20 daily users to over 1500
0: wow.
3: um and again you know remote meetings and now, we introduced although we had um things like teams um in place anyway we we did find that people wanted to adapt zoom uh, to adopt zoom as well so we bought and introduced zoom um again within a week um rolled out to everybody and and we now have over two and a half thousand meetings a day on zoom um and uh, you know uh, and and there was training issues associated with that as well in terms of teaching people how to use that safely and securely Um, so yeah kind of just just making sure that people understood how to use the tools that we had Um, because okay you know adoption went from five percent to you know to fifty percent overnight almost Um, yeah one of our concerns at the moment is to say is around uh, our security envelope is not as wide as
2: as we wish it was.
0: Mm. Over to you with that same question, Jonathan.
2: So I, I think uh, you know, echoing Kerry's statements, the the we were lucky in the um, we'd already equipped most of our staff um, with laptops, so they had a corporate device that they were they they were able to take home. Um, that didn't affect. That wasn't the same for everyone, but most people were in that situation. Um, and then we had to make all the changes because um, we'd assumed that our devices would be in touch with the university kind of mothership on a frequent basis. And so we suddenly had to adapt and ensure that they were receiving updates and that we were able to make policy um, changes to them when they were remote. So there was a whole bunch of security changes like that that we needed to, to incorporate that we've been working through. Um, and then finally, we also then you You have to uh, to accept um, and and start figuring out um, how you're going manage security because you don't have uh, a nice big firewall sitting at the perimeter um, and we don't we don't think that running everything through the VPN is the option. so we have to look we've we've employed split tunneling um, we've we've made um, extens- extensive use of um, multifactor authentication um, and then we've been removing. Um, legacy protocols or, or holes like um, legacy protocols within Office 365 that don't support uh, multi-factor authentication to try and just slowly tighten up. Um, so it's getting the balance between there's no point in being really secure and your business not functioning, and there's no point in your business functioning but being completely insecure. So you have to we have to balance the two on a on an almost daily basis Um, and it's very much that risk management approach but one of the advantages is as i highlighted uh, initially is university executive being able to brief university executive on a a daily basis which is what i was doing at this that's that's from a university like like ours that's an unprecedented opportunity to to influence at the strategic level and and we made we made best use of that to ensure that try and get that Um, ownership of the risk at the highest level and for the balance.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. I'm going to shift over to Dimitri from SonicWall now. Uh, Dimitri, what sort of cyber threats are universities vulnerable to with this new form of learning? Is the sector seeing anything emerging through the pandemic that wasn't evident, or at least as evident in higher education pre-pandemic?
1: Yeah, uh, let me start with just more of a broad, just industry-wide, because it's not just universities that went to work from home, right? Companies, I, I've been working from home for three months or two months now. Uh, in general, there's a massive uptick in phishing attacks against people's credentials and spam. Um, well, I mean, spam delivering phishing attacks, trying to harvest people's credentials for uh, for various online SaaS services, for example, this is where Jonathan mentioned uh, multi-factor authentication. This is where it's absolutely crucial to have multi-factor th- authentication turned on. We're seeing a large volume of uh, attacks, again, email-based uh, phishing attacks, etc., around all the different government programs or so anything. You know, there's always a surge in these in these attacks around any sort of event, whether it's a scheduled yearly event such as tax season, or whether there is uh, some em- global emergency or you know, global event. Uh, and this has taken this into overdrive. Of course, on the university sector, we've seen the reports of uh, targeted attacks, uh, to, you know, targeting COVID 19 uh, research. I can't speak, you know, to that anymore directly as I don't have, uh, I, don't, I myself don't have direct evidence, but, you know, we've seen from industry reports that are uh, attacks, uh, you know, around COVID 19 research. But I, I would say the focus would be on, uh, again phishing emails and of course so what both Carrie and jonathan mentioned with people working from home people working for personal devices there's always this element of like of uh, what network are they now connecting from because now people's home networks are effectively could be your uh, you know the it administrators networks uh if they're connecting with full-on vpn or what div- what is the uh, what is the status of the device from which they're connecting is it a Fully patched Windows 10, you know, whatever device that's managed, IT managed, or is it a Windows 7 machine uh, that hasn't been patched in about ten years? Uh, you know, that's okay for checking email at work, at home. I would argue that still, but uh, but now that's the endpoint that accesses your network, right? So that's. Uh, it's not uh, that is I think top of mind That is a top of mind concern for everyone that I've spoken to you know across different sectors is the you know what's connecting into their networks now
0: thank you I wonder Jonathan if you had anything to add to that one
1: I mean I think we're, we're seeing
2: um like everyone else we're seeing the the uptick in in the phishing um, and or we, you know, we've been issuing regular messages to, to, to staff and, and students um, to be vigilant. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons why we've then started to tighten up on some of the, the legacy protocol access and ensuring the MFA was everywhere um, and reducing the number of accounts that are, are not being used. Um, so we had a, a raft of measures of, of not, what not, I would say, not systemically you know seismic shifts but just in, incremental improvements that you can do quickly um that are that are achievable um and i think that's one of the the learning points around this is to not put off doing some of the, the complicated things because you're trying to create an all-in-one holistic solution um but instead focus on what can you do so um, we had MFA in place, um, so then it was a case of, well, w- what else do we need? We need now we need MFA on the VPN. Okay, so let's put it on the VPN. We didn't, we didn't get stuck in in worrying about every single so- solution. We picked the ones that had the biggest risk, and we identified them and started ticking them off one by one, and and incrementally working through it rather than spending a significant time fretting about a particular application that we we knew would be very challenging and that's sometimes that's quite unusual because quite often um, we have a lot of very smart people and um, both both academic and um, within IT and they like to find the kind of the corner case reasons not to do something Uh, and sometimes that effort detracts from the the easy wins um, and in this case it was very easy just to prioritize and, and just focus on on those top level high risks and knock them off rather than get distracted
0: thanks jonathan uh, dimitri i'm not sure you might have briefly touched on this in my previous question but with everyone working from home as you said it's made the matter of safeguarding very much more complex so what do university and it leaders need to be aware of and how does that process differ from the more campus-based safeguarding measures
1: yeah uh, the 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 two questions are absolutely related you know there's there's a Broad spectrum of things people should consider, and again, Jonathan and Carrie already touched up on some of them, like two FA. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to go down the list of you know what's been mentioned, so we heard that many more users are connecting via VPN. You know, make sure that your VPN is fully patched, etc., like running the latest version, because that's actually one of the th- other things that targeted attackers are uh, sniffing out, is they know that you know there's VPNs have gone, the VPN usage has gone up. That means that their VPN gateways, those VPN gateways, if they're not updated, they now are ripe for exploitation if they, you know, if there are publicly available uh, CDEs. So make sure that your VPN gateway is updated. Uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, crucial, because uh, as we said, uh, you know, everyone's now connecting remotely, but uh, parse this, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to send, say the sentence uh, slowly, it's, uh, it's a mouthful, but the least security conscious users credentials are now the gateway to your network right so the you you usually typically organizations have about 20 30 percent of workers that are remote you know executive salespeople they travel they are at a certain equilibrium of uh, experience with working remote all of a sudden you've thrust hundred percent of the workforce uh, or hundred percent of the staff into a remote work situation then there are people who don't know how to do this very well right they don't They don't have the same shields up effectively as the experienced mobile workers and therefore now I, as an attacker, harvesting their credentials, whether it's a phishing attack or you know, something else, uh, if I get that, it might be much easier for me to get that. But now that's my gateway into your organization's SaaS services, VPN, et cetera, which is where uh, and, you know MFA is absolutely, uh, absolutely crucial. Um, then we get into the more specifics of how you deploy uh, VPN. For example, there is a way of just bringing on a whole tunnel. So my personal PC is now tunneling to the entire organization. Yes, there is a split tunnel mode, but nevertheless, my PC is on your network and I have access to potentially full network, right? Okay, that's a very fast, quick way to get people connected. It's very convenient, but that opens up a whole set of other security challenges because now if I have something warmable on my machine at home, a warmable a piece of malware, meaning that it, you know, as soon as it detects a new network or something, it tries to scan everything on that network to try to propagate, you're now dealing with that issue, right? So there's a more specific Specific way to open up VPN access to achieve the goals that Jonathan and Kerry laid out, where you only provide kind of uh, pinprick access to a specific machine or to a specific resource. So even if I'm connected, um, you know, there's no way that something can get through that tunnel. Uh, There are even further ways to isolate uh, the environment where I might be on an absolutely virus-laden machine, but you can still give me remote desktop via an HTML5 control. Uh, that completely isolate, so I have a rendering of my desktop, of the remote desktop uh, in the university, in the company, Um, yet all the viruses, everything, all the other uh, garbage that I might have on my uh, PC can't do anything about it, they can't get its way through. My credentials might be stolen, right, and this is where 2FA is important. but there's a way to basically reduce the risk uh, while enabling people to connect remotely. I'm sure I'll come up with other examples through the conversation. Um.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dimitri. Um, This one's for you as well, actually. In terms of cyber safety, what are the biggest lessons institutions can learn from the digital transformation processes being driven by the outbreak? And what does this mean for the future of cybersecurity in general?
1: Um, I think the, you know, the lessons, lessons are still being learned. Some of the things that I have, you know, from my conversations with uh, various IT leaders, universities is what they're preparing for now is the transformation of how this will, um, how their networks, what their networks will look like. Um, I think it was uh, uh, Jonathan that mentioned that you know their team's usage usage went up from like a thousand to twelve thousand or something per month. I spoke to another university in in Italy where their team's usage went up from one thousand to twenty five thousand in a matter of a few weeks. Right, that's a twenty five x increase. And that the CISO uh, at that the university mentioned to me that now he's starting to think you know once we get out of this crisis, how he's going to uh, like what his network is going to look like because there are all these what he called dinosaurs that were still using, you know, Office 97 on-prem and refused to adopt, adapt any new tools. Now they've been forced to, and they actually quite like it. And that allows him to jettison a lot of the kind of old baggage that he might've had on-prem. And they just, okay, this is an opportunity to pivot kind of the the network towards the future. (laughs) Um, So that's one of the considerations. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Dimitri. Kerry, same question to you.
1: Um, yeah,
3: I think um, you know, as Dimitri says, the kind of one of the key lessons is is that people there's an opportunity for change, and and Jonathan echoed that in his comments earlier. Um, but I think you know we have traditionally spent quite a long time. Um, to convince people that, that that change is necessary and 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 guide them through it, you know, with the assumption that our, you know, five thousand academics will, you know, will, will raise concerns and and questions and just dig their heels in and not want to make change, um, you know, with a particularly compelling event, this is clearly not the case, um, so I think you know there's a definite opportunity to um, you know, to move people through. The you know the, the the curve quicker than than actually we thought. Um, so long as you know, as we say, that the event is compelling enough, um, and you know, people are are asking for guidance now. They 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 you know they want to know how to work safely, in in you know in the new normal, such as it is as, as it were. And you know, there's a good opportunity there for us to to turn around and 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 show the plans that we've already had ready. You know, as as Jonathan said, you know, he had roadmaps. He just didn't really know how or when he was going to get to implement them. We're the same. You know, we we know we want this piece of technology to perform this role. Uh, The big question that we had was, well, how are we going to get this out to people? Um, There's opportunity here now. And we know know that people are ready and receptive um, to it. So we're we're taking advantage of that as well. The other... um, angle is that, um, coming back to, to to Dimitri's point again, where people are constantly being fished at, um, one of our vectors has always been other people within the organization. You gain somebody's credentials, and then you go sideways through the global address book. Um, so one of the things that that we've kind of long taught our users is, is that if something looks different, it shouldn't. It's wrong, um, and there's a bit of a challenge introducing additional security measures alongside that message. Um, you know, we, we did not have um, two-factor authentication rolled out to the majority of our users on March the 18th. Um, more and more are, are getting it now uh, as we as we roll that out. But but you know, again, that's kind of changed our perception of of how we safely educate people. That this is a thing that looks different because we've we've done it, versus this is a thing that looks different because you know that, that somebody's um, trying to get trying to get at your um, you know research. Um, so again, it's just kind of changed our perception as to how quickly we we can do we can do change.
0: Thanks, Kerry. Um, I've actually got one last question here. It might be nice to get kind of input from all of you on this one. I'll start with you, Dimitri. Um, if you could offer some advice to your peers around the world, what would be the one trick up your sleeve to help reduce stress levels or workload in the shift to remote learning?
1: OK, uh, I might actually have a few <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so and, and the, these will get somewhat tactical. Um, you know, one of the, so we talk about MFA, you know, you've heard MFA, MFA, and what I've gotten as a question was, okay, that, that sounds great, but I have this application I can't touch. It's, for whatever reason, it's third-party code, it's legacy, it's crucial it works. We're scared. We don't know how it works. We're scared to touch it, right? But it doesn't have two FA or MFA as part of it. How do I secure that? Okay. So the, there is a very specific way to do it. You use uh, VPN technology. For example, SSL VPN. Uh, you know, I'm with SonicWall. We have a, a secure mobile access line of products. And what you can do is that line of products supports uh, federated uh, authentication. It supports uh, two-factor authentication. So what you do is you restrict access to that application to be only accessible through VPN. And then you force people to authenticate to this VPN application right, with multi-factor authentication, with all of the modern controls. and they're only, Then they're granted access once they've gone through the check. So you actually don't modify the original application. You don't touch it. You don't change its configuration in any way. It's effectively uh, a step towards the zero trust model. I mean, that's the foundation of a zero trust model. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be sitting right next to it uh, right next to the resource right next to the server you don't get access until you authenticate so that's one of the tricks that uh i know a lot many of our customers have deployed to secure systems and to roll out multi factor authentication to things that don't have multi factor authentication uh natively there are other uh, one other thing that i remember that i uh, remember that i forgot to mention if your earlier question is securing saas applications so uh you know in the So for example, you have Dropbox, Dropbox, things like that. People are now working from home. They're accessing it directly. It's kind of silly in this day and age to route their traffic back to the headquarters to make it go out a central gateway. It just creates latency bandwidth. So there are solutions to, there are cloud-based solutions that via APIs talk to these other cloud-based solutions that basically secure what goes into Box, Dropbox, O365? Uh, you know, SFDC is not applicable on this panel, but any of these SaaS services, there is a way to roll out security to them, so that if Dimitri working from his home PC, uploads a file that whether he he might not know that it's infected, up to Dropbox. To, and Carrie uh, you know, is in the same organization, before he can, has a chance to download it, it's to ensure that that malicious file is not available for Kerry to download. Um, there are some other, uh, I mentioned the other trick, so the, uh, I mentioned the other trick of just the, how do you securely provide access, how do you provide access to from machines that you do not trust? Right? Because if people are working from home, you do not trust those networks, you do not trust those machines. Again, there are ways to provide remote desktop access through HTML5 controls. Uh, you log into a portal, the user, it's part of that uh, SSL, the VPN portal, the user logs in with multi-factor authentication. and. You can set it, you can set up a virtual office for them or a virtual workspace where they can see their desktop, they can see all the bookmarks to the different resources. And by clicking on any of them, they get automatic authentication. So they don't have to remember it or type in additional passwords. They get automatic multi-factor authentication and you can render all of that through HTML5, which again completely isolates the client machine from the remote resource. So creating almost like an, uh, you know, I don't want to say fully air gap uh, barrier because that means something else in the world of security, but it's it's an extremely strong isolation layer. Um, Yeah, so those are uh, not one trick, sorry, three tricks.
0: (laughs) That's okay, Dimitri, thank you. Jonathan, how about you? Have you got a trick up your sleeve?
2: Um, I think... It's able to pick a a trick um we did we did something similar to kerry uh sorry so to dimitri um around some of our legacy applications and around that that remote desktop um solution particularly for for students and although that was that was less around security and more about um enabling um work because not every student had uh such a good PC at home, they may be on a Chromebook or something that doesn't necessarily let them run all the applications. So it's 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 quite often you find those same solutions uh, applicable from a productivity perspective as well as a um, uh, uh, security perspective. So I think um, the the areas that um, I, I think probably are, are most useful that we found in terms of that we we didn't really. Hadn't realised how beneficial and how easy it would be, was around the spike licensing of, of VPNs. So um, I think Kerry said it that normally we were the same. We pooled around about 10 or 20 users, and then suddenly we had um, you know best on like a thousand users wanting to have access, and uh, the the VPN that we use, uh, the SonicWall VPN, that has that spike licensing. So we're we're a the VPN. Does what it says. Um, in the, um, it has the capacity that works with its license, but because we don't didn't need that license all the time, it was actually way easier than we anticipated to scale that. We just bought the Spike license, we put it in place, and within a matter of days, we were we were up and running, and we had 800 staff concurrently using the VPN up to the thousand Spike license limit. So, that worked that worked so well. It, 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 almost, it almost wasn't, wasn't a thing. Um, and yet we, you know, it was, it did, it did make a huge difference at the outset.
0: Great. Thanks, Jonathan. How about you, Kerry?
3: Um, well, yeah, okay, There's one trick and I think it, again, it comes back to, 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 what Jonathan was saying around, you know, the, the, the ability to reduce the level of, um, i don't want to say rigor but i'm going to say rigor um in terms of you know introducing new services um you can do that a lot more quickly um uh, at this point in time because you know because because of the impetus that's there um that was actually for, for me and my team part of my role is obviously you know is it, it, to avoid introducing things in, in such a fashion <laughs> to our university um so what we did was just just to make sure that we were keeping a very very clear decision log of all of the all of the things that that we were doing and all of the trade off and compromise that, that that we were making, so that we didn't have to worry about it today. We can you know let, let let's let's make this choice. Let's make you know let's let people work from home. Let's let people learn from home, um, and we will come back to this problem. Um, and you know, some very, very often problems take care of themselves. We'll, we'll see, um, but you know, we've introduced services at pace, and we have, you know, we haven't done anything stupid so far as we know, but we haven't forgotten anything either. And and that's the thing, you know that that was very very important to us at, at the scale at which we were working. Um, let's not forget what we've done here, um, because you know, maybe, either we can do it more quickly in the future or you know, we know we won't have forgotten anything or introduced any risks in the longer term that we, you know, we don't want to bear across that period. Um, I, have, I have another one, which is kind of a bit more touchy-feely, which which is, you know, nothing to do with IT, but more about management, um, which is just to be absolutely, you know, clear with, with our, you know, our people and our staff that we understand um, this is a new world for them and, and, and you know many people are juggling childcare, many people are juggling, you know, feelings of isolation. Yeah. And again, just to make sure that, you know, people understand that, that, that that's normal and that, you know, the institution and the management, you know, is here to, to support people, um, as best as we can. Um, and, you know, and and all the kind of, you know, keep talking kind of soft stuff that comes with that. And, um,
1: I'll stop there before I get That's too so weepy. To can questions. I? Can I? Uh, can I... Uh, yank it back into the cold hard world of IT absolutely <laughs> <laughs> that's what oh. we're here for <laughs> yeah so one other trick i actually uh, you know i'm going juggling my memory for all the different tricks that i've again through conversations learned one other thing that universities specifically do is uh you know research universities that have for example journal access or software licenses that are tied to a specific uh IP domain range or to specific machines, this is now, every suddenly, uh, these universities find them with uh, graduate students, researchers working from home on completely different IP ranges. And this is where, again, VPN can be used as a tool um, to either let them into a virtual desktop farm and that farm is isolated, you know, secured, and that farm is on the specific IP range that is licensed to access journals, universities. And you basically stay compliant with all the licensing for either the special software or the journal access, right? But at the same time, provide that, uh, continu I don't want to say the, the word business continuity because it's not a business, right? But it's organizational continuity, where the researchers, the graduate students, they can continue having access to the same resources from home as they would as if they were sitting in their lab on campus, right? But, uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time, without the university having to. Uh, you know, close its eyes, put on uh, blinders towards security by allowing people just to fully tunnel again, there are ways to provide uh this access and if I can right now cherry pick one of the questions to clear from the q and a panel to clarify a confusion, so we talk a lot about v p n um and the, it's important to understand. So the question specifically here is uh, from Rogelio Delcano: Is uh, some browsers have a built-in VPN? Is that enough? Would you would you recommend that to students and teachers? It's important to understand that there are two different applications of VPN. The VPN that you're looking at right now is for privacy concerns. So what you're talking about is VPN that's built into browsers that might be turned that you might turn on, and what that does is it encrypts all the communication from an endpoint machine to some cloud service so the community so all the traffic goes from the client machine to some cloud service run by that browser and then the traffic goes out from that browser uh, cloud service to it's uh, to the intended destination what that does is that provides privacy to that client machine from people in the uh, around that machine so for example you're sitting in a cafe and you're sit, you're on wireless and i can sit next at the next table to you and i can see all your wireless traffic now most of it is probably going to be encrypted but i can at least see where you're going. I can see the websites that you're visiting because that's out in the open. What those VPNs that are built into the browsers do is they hide that from somebody who is quote-unquote sniffing traffic near you. The VPN that we're talking about here is a little bit different in that it might be the same technology, but it's not just channeling all the traffic to some cloud service to go out to the internet. It's actually channeling it to, an uh, you know, uh, to on-premises and I, uh, on-premises doesn't necessarily mean physical on-premises although uh, here uh, mostly seems to right? it could be physical on-premises where it's the university so it's from my client machine you take the traffic you take it over to the physical location we have also uh, numerous numerous clients and many companies actually do this now where they take their physical infrastructure and say I don't want to deal with any servers anymore but I have a good thing going here I'm going to just fully replicate it in Azure for example. So now it's still their private network, right? It's still only accessible through, uh, you know, after authenticating, but it's all running in Azure. So anyway, different types of VPN. What you're talking, uh, Regalia, what you're asking about is a privacy VPN. That won't help. them. I mean, that's a good thing to have in general, but but that's uh, that'll protect them from spying by their ISP if their ISP is spying on them, right? But it won't help in this specific situation.
0: Thanks, Dimitri. Uh, Roger, did you have anything to add in terms of the uh, the one-trick-up-your-sleeve?
4: Um, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, no, not really. I mean, we're not, you know, in terms of one-trick-up-the-sleeve, I'm not, um, you know, based in the university, so not, not something that we, we do on a, on a day-to-day basis. But obviously, you know, from our perspective, uh, as a, a value-added re- reseller into the uh, HE space, you know, it's, it's, a, it's going to be a very different uh, space that we're looking at when things semi return to normal, uh, if, if they ever blink and do. Um, but, you know, I, I think it is going to be a case in a, in a year's time. You know, I know I've, having conversa- I've had uh, conversations with Jonathan over the years where we've been trying to move things on, myself and Jonathan, a lot more rapidly than what people around us might like to um, and I think it might be a case of you know hopefully in a year's time reminding people when we're trying to get those projects delivered you know whatever they are network infrastructure security it's going to be a case of ooh, remember the coronavirus hopefully and you know do we, we need to get this done quickly and not uh, procrastinate around it for years on end and turn this into a 10-year project so you know it's uh, you know looking at it um, optimistically you know, w- when we uh, eventually come out of this, it's going to speed things along, but it is also going to look very different is the way that we see that. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, especially obviously with from a SonicWall perspective, pre- um, pre- protecting the perimeter, protecting the data center, mm. um, you know, and that's normally for the people that are inside of the network and stopping people from the outside getting in. But there's going to be a whole new working practice now where the, where the masses are going to be from the outside coming in to, you know, um, virtual infrastructure that's within the university that's in uh, public cloud so yeah you know we're looking at a lot of change that's going to happen in that space which is going to take some time as uh, universities start to understand student numbers when everything starts coming back in september or doesn't as expected and you know depending on you know what cambridge Uni announced yesterday with remote students for the next year the impact of all of that across the sector so there's, there's so many moving parts in it at the moment. It's, it's very difficult to get a crystal ball out and sort of predict what we think that market space will be like. You know, will we see the investment in campus systems like we've seen over the years? There's always going to be more investment of how we protect those endpoints with uh, two-factor authentication and VPNs and all manner of different security uh, elements. But they will, you know, I, th- I think, you know, with, with the speed of all this, unfortunately, there's going to be some holes left and those holes won't potentially be seen for uh, quite some time. Uh, and, you know, whether we can get background those in, in our clients and patches up, make sure that we can see what's going on um, because of the speed of deployment whether that is left there. Uh, you know, that's, that's something that will be told. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, the next six months will be very interesting. Uh, hopefully, it won't be as negative as the last couple have been. Because <laughs> from a and L perspective, and as a as a pipeline, as a as an organisation that relies on you know working and getting out to see people and uh, working on upcoming projects, it hasn't been too productive, should we say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Roger. I think we're all hoping for some uh, some form of normality to return, whatever that is. Um, actually uh, that kind of ties nicely into an additional question I had for you guys, it might be better for our university reps um, so there are rumours as Roger kind of touched on there about the phased reopening of the sector that could start as early as June. So in terms of cyber security do universities have a plan in place for when campuses eventually reopen? Um, I, Kerry and Jonathan could you maybe talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah I don't mind chipping in on this first. Um, so. I think a lot of universities will be be moving, and this is where I think a lot of universities will be be hedging their bets because you can't um, you can't plan with any certainty six months into the future at the moment. Um, we don't know if there's going to be um, the situation will, might be that we're very much back to a a new normal and that the virus is contained um, and that we're in a, a containment phase. Or for all we know we might be in a second or a third wave, and, um, and this is also could be highly regionalized, um within within the world. So what what might be applicable in in you know the northeast of Scotland might be different to Cardiff, might be very different to uh, um, the US or or other another part of Europe. So I think what we're what we're looking to do is obviously is planned with, with social distancing, um, which effectively means that. Uh, large-scale lectures are, are very unlikely going forwards, um, and you'd have to question the efficacy of those from a learning perspective as well. Um, but obviously there are certain aspects of lear- the learning journey that only can get taught face-to-face, whether that's you know, in our fine art or um, whether that's some of our medical students, the um, dentistry is particularly challenging at the moment. Um, so so it's, it's, it's a question of balancing those. Um, in terms of the information security, um, The areas that I think we needed to get better at before COVID and just been highlighted is that the detection and response is an area we spent a lot of time trying to protect things, um, whether that's with protect them with firewalls, protect them with um, anti-malware, protect them with privilege management, which is a thing that we use. Um, what What we've got to get better at now is not just preventing and stopping things, but actually detecting things and understanding what is happening within the environment. And is that, is that a new thing that's happening or is that a thing that always happens? So I think that from our perspective, we're looking much more around next gen heuristic behavior detection on endpoints that measures and manages them and detects what's going on irrelevant of where they are in the workplace. So we're not relying on the firewall to tell us if we've got a malware outbreak, we can determine whether that is irrelevant of where the device is across the planet, um, and that we've got a team that's that's taking all that information in, and is providing our engineering and our security teams um, with with contextual um, analysis of of that rather than waiting for the consequences of the malware to occur. Um, so I think um, what what we what we're seeing is probably a shift to being um, that that detection and response being more important, um, or or being raised up to the same level as that initial protection um, that we've we've traditionally focused on, to take account of the fact that we won't be able to predict where things are and where they are.
0: Great, thanks, Jonathan. Kerry, did you have anything to add?
3: Um, just to echo that, I think um, you know we've been, um, as Jonathan says, obviously you have your layers, you have you know firewalls that that, that block and, and and you know say nobody should be allowed here, um, but we've we've also been focusing on anomaly detection for for quite some time, um, and you know I, I think we've kind of accepted that some people are going to get through at some point, um, you know. So a key part of the response is how quickly do you know that it's happened? How quickly do you rectify? How quickly can you mitigate the impact? Um, you know, the, the the issue that we have now is we don't really know what anomalous looks like anymore. Um, so yeah, I think we will have to refine um, you know the the rule sets that that, that we use. Um, we'll have to you know refine how we how we respond to things. We mentioned um, privacy VPNs earlier. One of the um, tools that we were using um, was uh, Azure's kind of impossible travel where it detects, hang on a minute, you've logged in from Cardiff and, and three minutes later you've logged in from, from Denmark. That's not a thing that you can do, therefore <laughs> we'll block you. Um, privacy VPNs are, are, are a new challenge, especially now that people are on their, their home networks. Um, because we do, we you know we do find people coming in from 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 different countries. Um, is that something that that is now possible? Um, we need to work that out. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's the same techniques um, exist. Um, they just may, may need to be applied in in slightly different layers. But the weight certainly, I think, is is going to be more on the um, uh, detection and response rather than. Than, than prevention. Prevention is perfect. Um, you know, prevention is better than cure. But I think we do need to accept that you, know, you, you cannot prevent all, all events and therefore your response needs to be as, as swift and as complete as it can be.
0: Thank you, Kerry. So, uh, um, Dimitri, I, didn't, I think I'd hand over to you for, we've got one more question from the q there, or just if you have anything to add generally.
1: Um, i'll add uh, there's a question in q and a i'm not I'm, so it's how are privacy by design data protection by design security by design being considered during the home working revolution um, that has been caused by the uh, virus and lockdown i think um you know i'll answer i'm I, i'm i'll admit i'm not sure if you're referring tony if you're referring to a specific framework uh you know, I, I'm unfamiliar with that specific framework, but just in general, right now, I think there is going to be a march towards a zero trust uh, computing, uh, zero trust networking, zero trust access model. Um, you know, this is a term that's been around for at least a decade now. But I think this is where, and you know, some organizations have been on the path to it. Uh, you know, exactly what Kerry uh, and Jonathan mentioned. This this pandemic right now has kind of forced certain plans forward. Um, it's accelerated certain adoption plans uh, you know tremendously so I would say that there's a big shift towards a zero trust model um, I know just even from our own uh, we're a security company and uh, we're looking at how we are transforming right where you have to authenticate to everything Right, you have to authenticate. Now it's not to the point where it gets annoying and people start revolting, right? And that's where federated single sign-on becomes useful, et cetera. But the point is, if you need access to a resource, authenticate and do it with two-factor authentication and do it periodically, right? And um, so I think that we'll uh, we'll definitely start seeing a shift towards that. Um, I'm actually not sure. I don't know, Carrie, Jonathan, if you guys have anything else to add on the privacy by design. I'm not a privacy expert.
2: I think probably from
1: our perspective
2: one of the things that I mentioned at the start was a lot of what we did um, in the the home you know the what, what's referred to as the home working revolution was was things that we already we already had kind of road mapped and and planned it's just that we then put the the pedal down and went and went really quick so I think that's you, you you've got to be very careful that you you don't have um things just get put in um willy-nilly so you know we we'd already looked at zoom and decided for example in our world that we were not going to use it for we would use it in a very limited basis um but that for corporate matters we were only going to use um teams and that 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 decision didn't get changed because everyone suddenly had to work from home so i think it's about having your 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 plans um, ready to be to be um, executed, um, and then you you shift the response um, based around whatever happened, whatever disaster you know you particularly facing or or change in circumstance. Um, so I think that's that's the key thing for me is you don't the but the plus point is the flip side is that a lot of the things that we would have had to have had a significant debate about. Um, because of this new normal and the speed of decision making, you know, removing things like IMAP and POP3 access, that would have been a, a six month consultation exercise. And the the clarity that we got through this in terms of decision making from the university executive was really, really good. So I think that there's there's it's 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 a double-edged sword. Um and you have to make sure that you're, you are wielding it in a, an appropriate fashion so that you don't end up inadvertently cutting your own legs off um, and making poor choices um, by, by
1: rushing things into service. Jonathan, can I jump in? That right there, by the way, is another trick or a piece of advice on IMAP, POP, access, right? <laughs> Lock that down. Um, sorry, I wanted to jump in with that because that's actually a tangible piece of like a tactical, but highly valuable piece of advice as well.
0: That's actually just about all we've got time for today. Um, all of us here at EdQuarter would like to thank our expert panel, Dmitry Arapatov of SonicWall, Jonathan Monk of the University of Dundee, Kerry Davis of Cardiff University, Roger Harry of Circular IT. And thanks to you, our audience for joining us today. To stay up to date with the latest education news and keep tabs on our exciting webinar schedule, you can visit the Ed Quarter platforms on edtechnology.co.uk, universitybusiness.co.uk and ie-today.co.uk. Have a great afternoon, be safe, and we hope to see you again soon.
1: Thank you.